Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuning into another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. I am your host, Tim McCarthy. Today, I have an author, speaker, sexual assault survivor whose mission is to reach out to other women who may be suffering in silence. She's also an author of two books, He Loves Me Not, Things I Didn't Learn in School. Those are two different books, by the way. Nina Corcoran, how the hell are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Uh, we had a good little chat beforehand. I I took a W in our rock, paper, scissors matchup, which people can go watch on YouTube, but it's okay. You're you're part of like the history of my rock, paper, scissors career. I, I feel like you cheated somehow. I'll figure it out. Yeah, I was a little peak here and there. I was, <laughs> I was in your brain. So on top of all those, you, you do a lot. And I always commend people that can juggle so many things and especially with a smile on your face. Um, but you've also been a police officer about for about a decade now. How was, uh, how's that? Uh, it's going. Uh, a decade is a long time. You don't realize how slow and fast 10 years can go by at the same time. Uh, so basically my first real job out of college was, um, was police work. And I moved, I was from Massachusetts. I went to college and high school in Massachusetts and no offense to my home state, but I needed to get out of there. And, uh, so I applied to just be a police officer, basically anywhere in New Hampshire to kind of just get away from the big city of Boston. And, uh, I ended up in a very small town in Northern New Hampshire. And that's where I have been now for the last 10 years. And it is both lovely and crazy at the same time. <laughs> What's the population there? Um, the population is about 3,000. Okay. A little over. A little over. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm in, so if you are familiar with where Dartmouth College is, I'm in one of the small towns uh, surrounding that. I actually worked in Hanover, which is where Dartmouth College is um, in the beginning of my career, which was a little bit more uh, big city-esque, I suppose. You know, that police department has about 20 people and the one I'm in now has six. So, you know, big change out there in the big city of Hanover. So, so <laughs> what happens if someone calls out sick? You get enforced all the time or what? Um, yeah. So basically when someone calls out sick, you're the only one on the road. So if you call out sick, somebody else just has to cover it. And luckily we have a chief that's pretty good. Um, you know, he'll take last minute, uh, shifts and stuff like that. But yeah, if, if you're not doing anything, you're pretty much it. It's like a game of tag or something. <laughs> do you still love being a police officer or like, or do you hate it? You can tell me, we won't tell you, tell you people. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, I still love it. Um, you know, you have those, you have those days where you're just like, I have no idea why I do this. <laughs> and then you have those days where you remember exactly why you do it. So luckily I have had more good days than bad. Um, and a lot of times, shit's pretty funny. So, so I have a good group of, of people around me too. So that, that helps a lot. Working in law enforcement, I believe that you realize how I don't like, some people don't like using the word crazy, but people are sometimes crazy. 
Oh yeah. No, no, no. People, people are nuts. Even the sane people are nuts. Oh yeah. We all have a little, little nuts in us. So I, I understand that for sure. But yeah, I can only imagine the stories and the things you've been through, especially for like a decade plus. That is, uh, that is interesting. And how is it being a female police officer? I was going to say cop. Do you guys like being called cops or no? Um, you know, I actually had someone tell me I refer to myself as a cop quite often. And someone who was not a cop told me that cop was offense, an offensive word. And I was like, I don't really understand how you can be offended by something that I am. Yeah, yeah. So, so no, I'm not offended by the word cop at all. Um, I, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't know why that would be offensive. Yeah. But, <laughs> but no, um, so being, being a female in this profession is equal is just as nuts um <laughs> you know so up here where i am there are not a lot of us um i am the only female in my department i am one of five maybe in this area wow um i was one of in my academy class i was one of six so i mean there's not there's not an outrageous number of us I get, you know, I deal with the straight up assholes and I deal with some people who are like completely bewildered by the sight of me. I still get those times where like people will call the station and like, we don't, so we have a dispatch, but it's, it's elsewhere. And when, so if you call the actual building that we're in, we answer for yeah. ourselves and I've answered before and then like, you know, officer Corcoran and they'll be like, uh, Hey, can I talk to the officer on duty? And I'll be like, that's me. And they'll be like, really? <laughs> yes. That's why I answered the phone. <laughs> like, yeah, right. You know? And so like, you know, you deal with that shit and I deal with, I've dealt with plenty of people who want to make a big deal out of it, but I've also, you know, dealt with people who act like they see it every day and don't notice. So it's, it has, it's good days and bad days too. And I've had some days where I've walked away and been like, I can't stand this. I don't know why I do this. And then I've had some days where, you know, the little girl in the street will come up to me and tell me that she wants to be just like me someday. And then, you know, how can you not feel good about that? So it has exactly. its it has its good and bad. Exactly. Like turning around, just like biting your tongue, being like this motherfucker. Like, yes, that's got to be brutal. Why do you think women get like they get like a bad rap like that? Like, why do people just look down on that? You think? Well, you know, I've had I've had coworkers in the past tell me that they don't think that women should be in law enforcement because they can't do the job or they can't keep up or whatever. And I just stare at them like, all right, were you not just on the same call that I was? Like, I think right. I did all the work on that call. And, you know, I've had I've had other guys tell me that, you know, I had a, a guy tell me I'd never I couldn't be on the SWAT team. And so I turned around and was like, well, watch me and got on the SWAT team and like just different things like that, where, you know, they still want to believe that we just can't, you know, match them or whatever. And I think honestly, in some ways we not, not to toot our own horn, but we're a little bit better at certain no, things. No, toot your own horn, go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I've been in situations where, um, you know, my, my male officer that I'm there with just like can't connect with somebody they're just not getting through or they have the wrong tone or whatever and I've managed to talk someone down or de-escalate a situation that you know other people can't do because either the ego gets in the way or whatever it is you know sometimes two two men in a situation just doesn't go well so 
I've definitely been in a situ in situations where being a female was a plus, but nobody will ever, you know, give you that, that credit because they want to pretend like it's all a flute. Like you're here by accident. And I, and I've been told that I've been told that I'm, you know, the, the gender equality hire and stuff like that. And, you know, it, you have to be able to laugh that kind of stuff off. You have to be able to just kind of like turn the other cheek and be like, whatever, because you're never going to change those people. And it's the people that accept you for just who you are and like joke and love you for who, whoever and whatever you are. Th those are the ones that matter. So the, the other guys, I just, whatever, it's not, doesn't phase me anymore. Right. I feel like most people are miserable and they don't like being the most miserable. So they try to make other people miserable. So they make themselves feel good and not That's miserable. That's true too. It definitely does seem like that. Like the guys that always have something to say are the ones that are pretty miserable. So, I mean, it must be just terrible to be in their lives. So. Yeah. Right. And you put in the same work as everybody else. Like, I feel like a lot of guys forget women can punch you in the face too. Uh, so <laughs> like it's, yep. it's pretty equal. Um, so I could like, and that's great that you're a police officer. I really like that. Did you go to college for that? Like, do you go to college for criminal justice or anything? Or are you one of those people that had nothing to do with like law enforcement in college? No, I actually had nothing to do with law enforcement. So my See, that always happens. It does. My father actually, um, you know, told me when I was getting ready for school to, you know, look at majors and stuff. And he was like, you know what, if you want to be a police officer, you don't have to go to school for criminal justice, like go to school for what you love. And so I'm a total nerd and I have multiple degrees in um, literature and writing. So I went to school for that and it does absolutely nothing in my law enforcement career that I have all these degrees and it doesn't matter. And they're pretty pieces of paper that hang on my wall over there. And that's it. <laughs> Just a paper that shows uh, memories. Exactly. Of, uh, hey, you succeeded. The, well, you must like the police reports must be like very nice for you. Or you get oh. to write a little story. Yeah. My police reports are top notch. Don't worry. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Now, we talked about this before, and uh, I know this is a touchy subject for a lot of people, but you are a sexual assault survivor, and you're very open about it. Can you talk a little about that, of uh, when that started, and we can go from there? Because I know it's uh, it's not easy. Yeah. Um, so, and I mentioned this when I talked with you the first time, I was sexually assaulted in college by a guy I trusted. It was, you know, a friend that I had gone to a party with and we had made plans when we went, like he was going to make sure I got home. Okay. And I trusted him. And so I was legally 21 and, and had a lot to drink and got very intoxicated. And I felt like I was okay to do that because I had someone there that I trusted. He was going to make sure I got home and he did make sure I got back to my room. And once we were there, I apparently either blacked out or passed out and he took all my clothes off and sexually assaulted me both with himself and with other objects that he found around the room. And I would not have known about this except he used my camera that was out. I was the photographer for the school newspaper and the camera was out on my desk and he used my camera to take pictures. And the next morning I woke up naked, which is not how I typically sleep, just, you know, a little too much information about me. But so I woke up naked and thought that that was weird and was very sore but I really didn't know what the hell had happened. And I found my camera and found all these pictures and instantly was mortified. I was so disgusted. I was 
just beside myself. I deleted all the pictures instantly. And I went into this really dark place because I was, I had experienced trauma, but I had no idea because I was blaming myself this whole, this whole time after, after this, and it affected my life because I started to withdraw. I actually quit the being the photographer for the paper because I couldn't stand the sight of my of my camera. I couldn't right, use, right. I couldn't use it. Um, I so I withdrew from that. I withdrew from a lot of the activities that I was doing. I had all of the symptoms of trauma, but I didn't know that that's what they were because in my mind this was entirely my fault. I got too drunk. I. I must have put myself in that situation. I must have done something wrong. I shouldn't have, I should have stopped it. Like, you know, I had all of these things that were going on in my mind that I was the one in the, in the wrong. And so this was in college. It was my senior year. It really, I mean, I ended school on a bad note. I would, I would tell you that I hated school after that. I never got that chance to really like enjoy my senior year. It happened very early. It was one of the first, um, really the first probably month of school. And so it wasn't until now it's probably two years, you know, when you go through the whole application process and by the time you get to the Academy, it wasn't until I was sitting in the Academy class, like two years later as a about to be police officer that I learned the definition of sexual assault and learned that what happened to me was sexual assault because I was under the impression that you had to, you know, physically say no to a stranger that pulled you into an alley in order for it to qualify as sexual assault. You know, the whole law and order SVU, like everything you see on TV. Yeah. And, that, and that's not what happened to me. I was in my own dorm room with a guy that I knew and I had drank too much in my mind is what happened. So it wasn't until I learned that definition and like finally realized like, holy shit, not only was I sexually assaulted, but like all of those feelings that I had, I didn't need to carry all of that around. That was, it was trauma. And if I had known and had been able to deal with it, it might not have ruined my senior year. It, it might have still, but it might not have, you know, I might've been able to deal with it. I might've been able to get over some of the, the effects and had a good senior year. I might not have had let it affect, you know, relationships after that and, and sexual encounters after that, you know, things, everything started to pile on top and it took, it took my entire life to learn that definition. Yeah. And I was looking around and like I said, there were six other girls in my, um, academy class and I'm looking around at these six other girls. Like, did, did, did you guys know this? Like, am I the only one that didn't know this? And I've come to learn through talking to, other survivors through talking with just people in general that no, I wasn't alone. Like people don't know what the definitions of sexual assault are. They don't know what the definitions of domestic violence are. They don't know these definitions. So therefore they don't know that what they're experiencing isn't their fault and is wrong. And that is really, I have a problem with that. I don't want other people to be suffering the way that I did because they don't know these things. I don't think you should have to be a police officer to know that you were sexually assaulted. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Now, this person, did you know them for a long time? Did you know them through all four years? Um, so I knew them through all four years, but we had become close the year before. So just just really like to the point where I would go to parties with them in that year before. And we hadn't seen each other all summer and we had come back and reconnected. We had a couple classes together. 
So it was just kind of a natural transition into, um, you know, we were going to be close like last year and we were never, or at least as far as I was concerned, we were never going to be in any sort of a romantic relationship. It was completely platonic. And that was kind of how I was. Like I had lots of friends that were guys kind of like I do now as a police officer, I've got lots of friends that are guys and it's a platonic thing. And that's, I'm comfortable with that. And I don't know, obviously I never discussed it with this guy, but I don't know if he felt differently, if he felt he was owed something or, or what his deal was, but that wasn't, that wasn't how it should have played out. I trusted him and he knew I was trusting him to get me home. We had, we had literally talked about like, you know, it was one of those things like I'm blown off steam, like make sure I get home kind of thing. Yeah. And so it was, he took advantage of that situation. Did you confront him? No, I never did because at the time, you know, I was completely convinced that this was, this was on me, excuse me. And it was embarrassing and mortifying. I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe the things that this guy had done, but the reality was it was, I had internalized it as because even though he was the one doing these terrible things, it was my body. So therefore I was responsible for that embarrassment. And I couldn't, I couldn't even face him. So I literally never even got close enough to this guy again to say two words to him because I was so embarrassed. Like my, you know, I would turn bright red just thinking about it. So I couldn't imagine talking about it to him or, or confronting him. And what I, I think I would have, if I had confronted him at that time, it wouldn't have been about the things he did. It would have been like, about my embarrassment, which is again, wrong. <laughs> right. And he's walking around like thinking nothing happened, never reached out to you and absolutely nothing. Did you see him at all a lot? You just said like you wouldn't get close to him or anything, which is uh, very understandable, but. Unfortunately he was in a couple of my classes and that, you know, it did affect, it affected, you know, there were days I didn't go to those classes because I just couldn't get my, get my mind around seeing him and again, it was, I was dealing with it wrong because it should have been, I couldn't see him because he was my attacker, but I couldn't see him because I was so embarrassed mm. and I was still blaming, I was blaming the alcohol. I was blaming how drunk I was. So in my mind, I was this drunken fool that had like done these embarrassing things. Like, I mean, picture like when you go to the party and there's that guy with the lampshade on his head, like I was thinking I made the fool of myself, even though. I was past, it's very clear in the photos. I was not conscious. So I didn't do anything wrong, but in my mind I did. And so I, I was avoiding him to avoid my own embarrassment. You should have just dropped a brick on his head during the, during class. <laughs> I should have, I should have. And again, had I known, I don't know how I would have dealt with it differently had I known but I never spoke to anyone about it. I never told anyone about it because in my mind, this was this thing that I had done. And so I didn't want anyone to think differently of me. I didn't, I, I felt lucky that this didn't happen like at the party or something so that more people knew, like, as far as I was concerned, I had deleted the evidence of my embarrassment. And as long as I avoided him, then there was nothing else that, you know, no one else could know. And I just had to hope that he didn't tell people kind of thing. Mm -hmm. When in reality, that was just covering up his crime. Legit a crime. And I don't know how he was walking around being okay. Like he was very lucky. 
And you know, what scares me and scares me now that I know more and understand more is if he was so okay with that, how many other times did that happen to other women? You know, because I didn't know better. I didn't know enough to report him. So who else was in the same boat? Correct. Um, I always see this and it's always like on the news or like social media that they always say women need to be more uh, aware of their surroundings, but it's usually point people point out. It's like men should be taught well where they shouldn't do something like that. You put so much trust in a quote unquote friend and they do that. Why do you think they, they, it seems like everyone always says like, Oh, women should be more aware. Women should take self-defense, blah, blah, blah. But then they never like, uh, yeah. How about that guy doesn't be a piece of shit. Well, it's, I mean, I think it's the same as it's like pre-victim blaming. You know, we live in the society of victim blaming where it's all about like, oh, well, I drank too much or, or what were you wearing or, you know, what did you do to bring this on? And that I feel like is almost like setting the stage to victim blame. Well, you didn't take the self-defense class and you weren't aware of your surroundings and you didn't do this. And it's all of those kind of things that you're right. We should, it shouldn't be about just what to do to prevent it. It should be, Hey, don't do this to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> like if we, if we started at the root problem, which is don't sexually assault people, <laughs> you know, yeah. then maybe we wouldn't have to worry about being aware of our surroundings. And, but that's what it all comes down to, right? Like, don't make sure you're watching your drink at the bar. Don't take the drink. If you didn't see it poured, like all this shit, how about just don't put shit in people's drinks? Like, I feel like we're dealing with the wrong issue here. Yeah, exactly. Because every action either has a result or reaction or whatever. So if like that action didn't happen, then we wouldn't have to have to feel this or, or worry about it or deal with uh, the negativity of it all. Um, now, you didn't want anyone to feel like this or have to go through this. When did you decide that you were like um, going to tell your story and and be comfortable with telling your story? It did take it took a long time. Um, I've mentioned before too, I also survived an abusive marriage and it wasn't until I was six, six years out from that marriage. And I was sitting with my now stepdaughter and we were watching TV and the news came on and it was a story on the news about a woman who had been killed by her husband. And so they were talking about domestic violence and my 11 year old stepdaughter turned to me and said, what's domestic violence? And I was heartbroken because what am I supposed to say to this 11 year old about what's out there in the world and what I don't, I don't want her to know what domestic violence is, but if I don't teach her what domestic violence is, then she's no better off than I was. And so that kind of was the catalyst for wanting to write my novel and wanting to start sharing this message because I want young women to start learning these lessons so that they never end up in the position that I was in being a 20 something year old, not knowing what sexual assault was being a, being a 25 year old wife, not knowing what domestic violence was being a police officer and needing to learn the definitions to be able to get myself out of these situations. So my, my novels and my platform are really aimed for those young adult women you know, starting out their dating journeys and starting out in the, in their real world situations so that they learn what these things are before they have to deal with it. 
How long was that abusive marriage? Um, so the marriage itself only lasted one year. However, I met the man that I was abused by when we were 11. So it was a 15 year relationship. Wow. And was <laughs> yes. it, was it, was it bad from the get go? Obviously it was when you were younger, but it just progressed even worse. I can imagine it did. Yeah. So it started off, it was a toxic relation. It was a toxic friendship to begin with. And it was a lot of emotional abuse, um, at the beginning. And again, no one talks about emotional toxic friendships, you know, no one talks about emotional abuse as being abuse. So you don't realize. And so we took that emotional, emotionally abusive friendship and turned it into an emotionally abusive relationship. And then that emotionally abusive relationship became a physically, sexually, emotionally, and financially abusive marriage. So it all progressed into what it became, but it started with that 11 year old kid who every, you know, how you say the things like, oh, well, he hits you because he likes you and he, he teases you because he likes you. Well, that was my friendship with him at 11 years old. But everyone kept saying like, you guys are meant to be together. Someday you guys are going to be, you guys are going to get married and all this stuff. And so that made it seem okay. So yeah, someday we got married and it wasn't until, you know, I was dealing with domestic violence on a regular basis as a police officer that I realized like, I'm going home to this. I'm a hypocrite. I'm telling these women to get out of these relationships and I go home to this every single day. So it, it's hard when you don't learn about these things at the beginning, because by the time you open your eyes and see it, it's way too late to deal with it. Then you have to, you have to nip it in the bud before it even happens. What was your like moment? If you can recall it, they were like, no, what? Fuck this. Like this is ending. I'm, I'm taking my own actions and just, Oh, I remember <laughs> I was, I was working a midnight shift and I was called to a, um, a house where a man and a woman were having an argument and I got there and this guy was just making me so angry and I could see how toxic he was and I could see how bad their relationship was. And I wanted to help this woman so badly. And I kept, I kept trying to push her, but you can't, you can't force someone into getting help. And I know that, but I was, I really wanted to help her and I was getting so upset that she wouldn't let me help her. And so eventually, you know, you get to that point where your hands are tied and you have to leave. And I did. And I had, you know, driven away to write my notes and I started to write my notes. And I realized the reason that I was so angry is because he reminded me of my husband at the time and everything I was writing about her in my notes, I could have put my own name in front of, and it would have been true. And that was that, that moment where I realized like, this is my reality and I'm a hypocrite. And I got to figure out what I'm going to do with this. Right. How, why is it hard for uh, most people to get out of a toxic relationship, especially when it's a domestic violence? There are, there are a lot of reasons. Um, some reasons, some of the reasons are basically you don't see, you, imagine right now walking out of your house with no money, no no friends, no one to go to, no, you know, you've been isolated away from your family. You have literally nowhere to go. You probably don't own your own car. You have 
maybe no control over your own money. Maybe you don't even have a job because you weren't allowed to work. Like, you know, you, you have this logistical nightmare of you'd have to walk out with nothing. So you justify that staying there with the protection of your home and your car and your comfortable life is better than leaving. So you've got that. Um, for some people, it's a, for some people like me, it was a reputation thing where here I am a police officer. I'm supposed to be able to take care of everybody else. If everybody found out that I couldn't even take care of myself, what would that do to my job? Would, would my coworkers trust me? Would my, would my neighbors trust me? Would the people who I'm going to help trust me to help them if I can't, couldn't even help myself? You know, you've got things like that. You've got the basic denial of not wanting to admit it's really happening because that would mean that you have somehow been complicit in this nightmare kind of thing. And so, and that's, and that's without even throwing children into the mix. Right. Right. So, I mean, those are just some of the reasons why it's so hard, but it's, it's hard to even wrap your mind around the fact that it's happening sometimes because you get to a point where you start to doubt yourself and you wonder whether you're even seeing things clearly. And sometimes that's because of emotional abuse, like gaslighting, which is for me, definitely played a huge factor in it. I thought I was crazy. Um, How would you explain gaslighting to people that don't know what it is? Cause I, I, I know when I, I talk about gaslighting people, like, what does that even mean? Yeah, it's, it's, not a well-known, even though it's a very common tactic of abuse, it's not a well-known term. And so how I explain gaslighting is it's basically behavior that the abuser does to make you question your own sanity and question your own ability to remember things or um, just, just see the world around you. So what would happen for me is we would have a conversation or an argument or something of that sort. And I would remember it the way it happened, but my partner would say things would say things like that never happened, or you're overreacting, or you're making that up, or that's a lie, or I didn't say that, you know, all of those things. And you think, because you're in a healthy relationship and you're a normal person, that it would be easy to just be like, no, that is how it happened. I remember. But when it happens so often and it's been going on for so long, you do start to question well, maybe I did remember it wrong, or maybe he's right, or how could I have forgotten that? And so I actually got to the point where I started writing things down. Like I kept a journal. And so when we had an argument or when we had a conversation or when he told me, you know, oh, my mom's coming for dinner next Thursday, I would write these things down. And then when he said, I told you my mom was coming on Wednesday, I would say, I would go to my notebook and be like, I wrote down Thursday. And that should have reminded me that I was right. However, what I would do is I'd say, how did I write that down wrong? And I would even question my notes. Right. He'd probably be like, 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 he'd be like, oh, you're crazy for having a notebook. Well, I never let him see that I had the notebook. I hid that from him. Um, but yes, if he had known that I had that notebook, he probably would have been really mad because he would have said that I was, you know, tracking him or doing, you know, he was always coming up with crazy things and I would feel guilty about the crazy things that he would say and do and whatever. And I would, I would apologize constantly. And so I kept the notebook hidden because I, I imagined that if he had ever found it, he would be just furious and that that would be, you know, a terrible thing. So 
he never knew that I had that. But when I would say, I'm sure that you said your mom was coming on Thursday. And he would say, I to- I've told you a thousand times. I can't believe you don't listen to me. You, you never hear what I'm saying. You don't care enough about my, me and my mother to remember the correct date. And it would just compound and you would start to feel so guilty and you'd start to think, oh my God, I can't believe I'm so selfish. And you'd have all of these reactions and you were right all along, but you'd never know that because you believed everything he said. And you'd, you'd start to depend on him to remember things. And that is exactly how you lose that control. And that is what gaslighting is. And it's a very effective technique. And it's very, very hard to break out of. Because by the time you realize that it's happening, you're already usually so into it that you doubt whether you can recognize that it's happening. If that they, makes sense. You no, know, it does. They absolutely kill your confidence too, which is uh, yes. not like, you don't, you don't sense that now with being a police officer, if that's going on. And then the second part to my question is, can you arrest your own significant other in a domestic case? And then did he get charged that like, how did that officially end for him? Um, so I think that that would be considered a conflict of interest. Gotcha. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that that would not go very far if you tried to push that with your prosecutor. Yeah. Um, however, I mean, technically, you have if you have jurisdiction over the place that it's happening, that, that would be dicey. <laughs> so let's just say no, that didn't happen. Right. Um, and I actually did not press any charges. I even, um, even after the fact when a restraining order probably would have been the best option for me, I didn't go that route because I was so embarrassed at the time to admit that this was happening. And because all of my coworkers and friends are police officers, they would have had access to all of that information. My name would have been in the log, you know, somebody would have had to come and serve him and me with the paperwork and all of this stuff. And I was just so embarrassed and you're already at such an emotionally vulnerable state. I couldn't handle any more of that. And so I went and did all of the paperwork with the court to file for divorce and all of that stuff. I did that all myself. I didn't get a lawyer. I didn't, um, I didn't go through the sheriffs to serve him or anything like that because of my own vulnerability at the time and my connection to the law enforcement and all of that stuff. Um, I don't recommend being that prideful. (laughs) I think that really hurt me in the long run. Um, and definitely caused a lot more sleepless nights and, and nights where I was really afraid for my life and, you know, laying there waiting for like my house to catch fire because he came and burned it, tried to burn it down in the middle of the night and things like that. Like I probably could have saved myself from a lot of that if I had gone the route of protection, but I was just so ashamed at the time that I was like, I, I, I at least have to take care of this myself. And so, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, right now, how like he just got up and left. He like he's another one that just got away and just didn't serve his crime. So he did not serve for any crimes. Um, he, I, when I decided that I needed to do something, I did confide in a really good friend, and my friend helped me make an escape plan and helped me get 
to a safe place where I could start the process of filing for divorce and all of that stuff. Um, and I returned to my house where he was with the paperwork already filled out and basically put on a very brave face and went in and told him like, told him, you know, this is my house. You need to get out. And if not, like I've got the police around, I've got actual other police (laughs) around the corner. And like, that was kind of a lie. And I was basically just going off of the hope that he was going to be compliant because he was afraid of getting arrested. Um, and that worked for me, at least for getting him out of the house initially. And then I was able to immediately change the locks and like do all of that stuff. If that had backfired, I really didn't have a second plan. I guess I really just would have needed to call the on-duty police officers. Um, and he did manage to terrorize me for about a year afterwards while the divorce was going through the court system. Um, divorce takes a really long time anyway. And then when you throw in somebody being uncooperative and wanting to torture you as much as possible. So, um, so it took about a year. And then during that time, at some point he found a new target and someone else to harass. So I got lucky in that sense. Um, however, there's still guilt there because I basically just let let him move on to somebody else and who knows how miserable that person is. But I commend you for how you can handle these stories, especially with a smile and sense of humor. I feel like people in law enforcement do have a, not a sick sense of humor, but they can try to like, be like, okay, let's it's again, I commend you so much because you're a strong human being and to do what you're doing after two like just nasty incidents is is remarkable and uh, hats off to you i would take my hat off right now but i have my headphones over it but legit (laughs) hats off to you um what would you say to other women of listening to your story there are a lot of examples what would you say specifically to a woman that's having troubles leaving a relationship what what advice would you give them my advice would be to find that one person that you trust to help you when you're having those moments of doubt in yourself and doubt in what's going on. And, you know, you need that kind of foundation to help you. And if you're feeling isolated and feeling like you don't have any of, you know, you can't turn to anyone. Remember that those people that loved you before still love you now. And just because you're um, significant other, whoever it is, isolated you away from them doesn't mean that they're gone. And I found that even though I thought I was entirely alone, when I reached out to those people, they were all still there and waiting. And a lot of them knew as soon as I reached out what I needed and they were ready. And I had to swallow my pride and ask for that help. And you do have to do that. But as soon as you do, those people are still there. And so find those people, reach out to them, have them on your side and just know that no matter how hard the path in front of you looks, once you're beyond it, it's all for the best. It's so much better. No matter what you try to convince yourself that, you know, I can put up with this or I can deal with this for whatever reason, just moving on to the other side of that and being truly away from it and free is worth it. 
you've turned a lot of negatives into some positive. How's how's the new guy? That he must be great. Talk about him for a second. The new guy is great. Um, he is everybody. I think that's in any sort of toxic relationship, whether it's abusive or not, has probably at one point told themselves that they don't deserve love and that they're not worthy of love and that, you know, no one else will ever love them. And so this is just what they're settling for. And this guy has taught me that all of those things that I said were wrong. You know, there, there are people out there that will love you and you do deserve more. And he showed me more than I even thought I deserved. So that's out there. And all you have to do is stop listening to those little voices that say, you know, you're not worthy and you don't deserve it. That's awesome. Congrats. I'm glad, I'm glad that uh, that's going on for you. Now let's keep going. You got two books, which is insane. I can barely read a book, let alone (laughs) writing a book. I can only imagine. Now, Start with one of them. Uh, he loves me not, or things I didn't learn in school. Let's talk about either one of those. Which one you got right now? So I got "He Loves Me Not" was my first novel. That was the one that was basically inspired by my stepdaughter asking me that question. And so it is a young adult novel. It is about a high school girl who's having her first relationship. You know, she hasn't, she has nothing to compare it to, and so she thinks that a lot of these, you know, controlling and jealous behaviors are normal. And I am trying to teach the reader through her that these are the things to watch out for and things that are not normal. And so she goes on this journey of kind of learning the hard way about teen dating violence, unfortunately. Now, things I didn't learn in school. So where um, He Loves Me Not is a fiction novel, um, Things I Didn't Learn in School is me talking directly to the reader, and each uh, little mini chapter is, in fact, something that school did not teach me. Um, So I cover more than just, I do talk about toxic relationships and things like that in there, but I also talk about things like money and um, and just self-respect and things like that that are all these things that I feel like are really important lessons that young women learn, but nobody teaches them. You have to learn them the hard way. And that doesn't seem fair. Like, why does everybody have to learn it the hard way? So I learned it the hard way. Now I'm giving it to you in this nice little compact book where you can learn the lesson and, uh, and hopefully not have to experience it the bad, bad way. I'm with you a thousand percent on that. I was a C's and D's get degrees type of guy in, in high school. And it's like, yeah, I teach me how to do my taxes, teach me how to like change a tire. Like not everybody has like parents that will teach you all these things. Like some people are, unfortunately they like don't have parents or they're, they're, they're just as toxic, but yeah, I'm with that. Like calculus don't even know what that is. Like no. they, they always said that like, you're not going to be able to carry a calculator with you all the time. Like, no, I can't, I can just Google oh. the answer. Yep. And you know, it's things like it's, it's taxes and it's things like, you know, everyone told me I needed to get a credit card because I needed to have a credit score, right? That's super important for some reason, but no one told me that credit cards weren't just magic money. Like I had to learn that the hard way by creating a lot of debt and things like that. So, you know, I, I learned a lot of these lessons later in life and I'm just really hopeful that somebody out there can pick this up and be like, Oh, wow. 
maybe I won't make that mistake. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a that's a book that I would probably read really well. Um, but yeah, we, and it's we, a little it's a shorter book, so it, it's easy to go through. <laughs> short book for sure. Short guy. I'm I'm with it. Now, where can people purchase those books? So those are all on Amazon, um, and you can also find them on my website, which is just ninacorcoran.com. Perfect. Perfect. Now let's wrap up for a little couple of things here. What are, th- I know we'll start with this one because you, you were already nervous about it. Now I'm a huge <laughs> wrestling fan and I always like to ask people like what their theme song would be if they were like walking out to a ring as like a UFC fighter or like a boxer, like Nina Corkin comes out, everyone sees her, like what song's playing? Um, I forgot about this, so I wasn't thinking. Let's go, let's go. Blake Shelton, because I'm a huge country fan, and let's go kiss my country ass, because that is, I think, the theme song of my life. I like I'm the answer. <laughs> I don't know the song, but that sounds very uh, like redneck New Hampshire small town answer, so I exactly. respect it. Um, <laughs> now, before we go to my next question, I, I totally skipped on this by mistake. You are also a podcaster. Talk a little I bit about that. that. Did you start that in August 2021? Yeah, that just started just in August. Um, and it has the same name as my book, He Loves Me Not. And basically, it is a place where I share my my story in a little bit more detail. I talk about those definitions that I learned. I talk about other um, lessons that I, I learned through the police academy and my training and experience. I have some guests that come on and talk about their stories. And really, it's a, it's a safe place for survivors and supporters to learn more about things like gaslighting and stuff like that, and also just feel like maybe they're not going through this alone. You're doing a great thing. Um, that is awesome that you're just, it's, it's got to be difficult because a lot of people can't do what you do. And then you putting your story out there, people can relate and then you bring them in, which is just fantastic. And that is, uh, that is awesome. So people be sure to go check out, uh, he loves me, not on like Spotify, iTunes, right? It's all on the, you know Absolutely. how it is. Podcasting, Absolutely. podcasting is, a, is weird. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is weird. And you know, I think I'm really grateful for it though, because I am able to share my story because I've, I've just gotten to the point where I can. And I know that there are a lot of people that can't. And so I want to be able to be that voice for, for the folks that aren't ready to, to share that. So podcasting has given me a platform to do that. Perfect. Now it's done with this. What are three things that you're grateful for today? Cause we're living in today. All right. What are you grateful for today? I am grateful that it's not raining because I really need to walk my dogs. And oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. What type of dogs do you have? Let's let's pump the brakes. I have two um, giant chocolate labs. I've got a 125 pound chocolate lab and a 90 pound chocolate lab. Holy smoke! What are their names? Uh, the larger one is Moose, and the smaller one, quote unquote, is Cosmo. Like it, like it. Moose is very New Hampshire. Cosmo is really good. Shooting is it shooting star? Is that a shooting star? I don't. I wasn't. I didn't pay attention in a like space class. So whatever yeah, the fuck it was, nice. Something like that. To be to be honest, Cosmo's name when we adopted him, he's a rescue. When we adopted him, his name was Cisco, and um, my. 11 year old couldn't say Cisco. There was a little bit too much of the S sound happening there. And so Cosmo was like, just how that one developed. So that's where his name came from. But so I'm very grateful that it's not raining and that they can get some exercise today because they need it. Yep. (laughs) Um, 
I am very grateful to be here talking with you and sharing this story. And I hope that it uh, resonates with at least at least one person out there and that they maybe find some hope out of it. And well, so, oh, I, they learn something as well. Or they learn something. Yes. Yep. And that's ultimately I keep saying that about all of the things that I write and all of the things that I say, like if just one person can either learn something or take something away from it, then that's then I've had a good day. Yeah. And my third thing would be for my my little family. I'm so grateful for the man that I found and his two wonderful children that have become, you know, the lights of my life. So that I, I'm grateful for where I am today. Perfect. Perfect. Now, I want to say this. I'm glad that I met you. I, I don't I don't know you that long. I'm very proud of you to share your journey, get through your journey, turn it into a positive, do all these things to help other people, come out with two books. I don't know how the fuck you do any of this. And it's, I, I can't believe it. And you're such a great person doing such a great thing. I just wanted to tell you that. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you having this platform and sharing it with me. No problem. No problem at all. Nina Corcoran, be sure to check out her books, He Loves Me Not, on Amazon. Things I Didn't Learn in School, on Amazon. Podcast, He Loves Me Not, which I think could be on Amazon Music as too. Amazon just Probably. too much of a conglomerate for us. But Nina Corcoran, <laughs> thank you so much. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.